0: Last time we mentioned King Herod, who is not to be confused with King Herod, who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. But this new King Herod, often called Herod Agrippa, instigated vicious persecution of the church, including killing James, the brother of Jesus, and the imprisonment of Peter. But God used the intense persecution to instill intense prayer by the church for Peter's release and the miraculous release of Peter. But now, in chapter 12 and the second half of verse 19, Herod leaves the province of Judea, where he had been doing most of the persecution, and travels to Caesarea to reconcile with enemies in Tyre and Sidon. To impress everyone, Herod Agrippa sat on an elevated throne in his regal robes and delivered a public address, which brought great applause at the conclusion, and many in the crowd shouted, He's not a man, he's a god. Killing and imprisoning Christians, combined with such accolades, was a bit over the top for God a lot over the top for God, and an angel struck Herod with an infestation of worms from which he died. Now, do you catch the irony there? Pride and persecution by Herod brings a multiplying of worms and death to the tyrant in chapter 12, verse 23, which contrasts with the very next verse about the church multiplying in numbers of people, and also in spiritual life, in the congregations. It's quite a pun. Whether it was intentional or not's another question. And the prophecy made by Agabus in the previous chapter is fulfilled, but Paul and Barnabas deliver an offering to the Jerusalem church in the midst of famine. These leaders not only advanced the kingdom by bringing people to Christ, but they also brought funds and food for those in desperate need. That is the biblical balance, spiritual and practical needs addressed at the same time. In previous generations, and sometimes even today, there is a struggle in some churches between meeting spiritual needs and providing food, clothing, housing, and the like. Groups like the Salvation Army broke down the artificial wall between spiritual and physical needs, and today most congregations see the need for both. But there are some groups that overlook the spiritual in favor of social concern, and others that neglect physical needs in favor of the spiritual concerns. Here we see the two in their proper balance. It's true, as some Um, contend that we should empower the needy by providing skills and other means of earning a living, but that requires assistance and money used in ways that do not foster dependency. Chapter 12 ends with a cryptic comment about Paul and Barnabas leaving Jerusalem, bringing with them John Mark. He was the author of the Gospel of Mark, written only a very few years later, but Mark was also a later source of contention between Paul and Barnabas, although later there was restoration and forgiveness. See Second Timothy 4.11. Here we see one of many examples of full disclosure. There is no sugarcoating of the early church leaders, but rather a revealing of both virtues and flaws, as can also be seen in the Old Testament. As a result, we can see the trustworthy nature of this account in Scripture. We in the church today need to echo that balance, not by broadcasting weaknesses and failures, but by admitting them, as well as emphasizing the triumphs and victories of God's people, including the leaders. And we see four new strands of the allegorized rope that makes for a healthy church, the balance of spiritual concern and social concern, and also the balance between disclosure, even when it hurts, and celebrating the advances of the kingdom of God. As we come to chapter 13, we are about to embark with Paul, sometimes called Saul, Barnabas, and Mark on the first of four missionary journeys. This is Brother Don.